Lord, ah, we worship you tonight, Father. Oh, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father God, may you be, may I just be your mouthpiece tonight to honor you, to serve you well, and that may someone in this room just be encouraged uh, by what we're going to go through tonight. Um, and may those who aren't saved, if there's someone that's not saved in this room, be saved tonight. Bless this time. Lord, as we just ask that the Holy Spirit, you just anoint it in every heart and mind that's in this room. Eliminate distractions, Father God, especially for myself, all anxieties, anything like that. Lord, we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to give you a minute to grab it. You can either grab one from the wings or maybe someone can help you get one. But we're going to be out of Luke 11, 1 through 4. Give you time to get there. Luke 11, 1 through 4. And as you begin to flip there, the I entitled the message tonight, The Power of Prayer. Simple, power of prayer. Okay. Because tonight I'd really like to share with you how you can bring a life, vitality in your spiritual walk by meeting with God. You see, the problem many don't realize, you guys, is that prior to Christ, we lost it. We lost that. Since Adam and Eve, we've lost the ability to shamelessly commune with our Creator, God. Instead, like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves in, in brokenness, hiding in what I guess you could call a cave of sin, right? Where did he find them? In the cave, right? And without Christ, humanity still can't figure out how to get out of that cave, right? It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Maybe, I mean, I think everyone's been there, right? If, if you're a Christian in this room and you have not been there, we need to talk, right? So uh, if you're there tonight, that hopelessness, maybe that hits you, which is brought through sin, shame, guilt, Man, I want to attack that tonight. And if I'm speaking to the heart of the matter, I think when we really get down to it, it's because like our first parents, right, we want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. You see, we placed ourselves there, you and I, placed ourselves there at one point, and it's tempting every day to want to go back into that cave, but God calls us out. God calls us out of that cave, and I want to remind us of that tonight. And so, what we're going to see in this passage is, is how Jesus unlocks the door of hopelessness for us. And for those of you families in the room, if you don't have or have never heard of that book, Pilgrim's Progress, there's like a kid's version. Highly recommend. We read it to our kids. And who am I kidding? I love it. I love that book. So, it's been great for me. So, tonight, it's, it talks a little bit about that hopelessness. Tonight, Jesus teaches his disciples, and us, how to get out of that cave, or as you'll see in that book when you read it, how to get out of that dungeon of hopelessness, right? And how to commune with God as it was always meant to be since the start. Okay, so we're going to read through this passage, but before we do, I want to let you know that my plan is to highlight just a few ways that I believe you can vamp up or ignite your prayer life, and by this, I mean for those of you who are Christians, maybe you're new walking with the Lord, and you, know, you just want to protect that, you just want to keep that joy alive, or maybe some of you feel like your walk has grown a little stale. Maybe some of you feel a little stagnant. So I believe that highlighting these few tools will revitalize you, 
It'll rejuvenate you in your walk. It'll refresh you and give you lasting joy. It'll give you lasting joy through your prayer time with God and set the tone for your daily walk, okay? So I know I keep going on and on about this, but my hope is that through what I'm about to teach you guys, which is really honestly what Jesus is teaching us tonight, what I saw, is that you will see, know, trust, and understand that there's someone on the other end of that prayer. His name is God. Okay? His name is God. Tonight my prayer is that you are reminded of just how small you are compared to God Almighty. And yet how the fullness of His everlasting love still extends to you and through you in prayer. Okay, so keep tracking with me. The three things I'll share tonight for those of you taking notes, encourage you to do that, is to fully, truly, and experience the power of God and receive lasting joy through prayer, we need to do three things. We need to acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge. Accept what he's already done. Accept. And allow him to lead you. Allow. So here we go. You guys ready? You sure? Okay, some people call me the king of cliffhangers, so I was trying to lay out everything early tonight so you know where I'm at, all right? So here we go. Um, And the other thing is, when we read, I'm going to ask that after I read verses 1 and 2, would you please, all of you, would you please read verses 3 and 4 out loud together? I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you guys read it out loud together, okay? Okay, so I'll point to you when we hit 3 and 4. So here we go. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is your part. Very good, very good. I was like, how many different versions do we have out there? You know, <laughs> almost like felt like speaking in tongues for a second. Okay, very good. So to give you some context here, we are about in the middle of Jesus's ministry journey, right? Jesus, Christ, God in the flesh is finishing his prayer time here. And one of his disciples finally asks for him to teach, him, for him to teach them how to pray as, G, as uh, John's disciples taught them, right? One resource I was reading shared that uh, it was customary for the rabbis to compose prayers and have their disciples recite those prayers. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like, you know, um, it's in line here with what's going on and what the disciples are asking Jesus to do here. But here's what strikes me. Here's what really hit me. Why did it take nearly 11 chapters for this to happen? He started his ministry kind of back in, chapter 4, right? And only now we're learning about this? And it's funny because, you know, after much studying, you guys, you know what I found out? Well, you don't have to respond to that, sorry. (laughs) I found out that it's really because that's when the disciple finally asked him, you know? And listen, family, sometimes we just need to humble ourselves, be bold, just ask God. 
ask the Lord to help us. They could have learned this prayer before, earlier. All they had to do was ask. All right? You ever sit down and think to yourself like, hmm, did I even ask God about this situation yet? (laughs) You know, all the time, right? And typically, I don't know about you, but typically for me, it's after I already made the mess. Yeah, some of you relate with that, huh? (laughs) So ask, seek, knock, right? Okay, that's your bonus tip for tonight. If you want to pay me through the, uh, m- the famous ministry currency, you can give me goldfish and animal crackers after the service, okay? <laughs> but, but really, what I want to highlight, what I really need to highlight for just a moment is that the book of Luke emphasized prayer more than any other gospel. I noticed that. And I love how in Luke's recordings, Jesus' prayings are at all different times of the day. Check it out. Check it out for yourself. And, and oh, you guys, may we be a church, a family, little Christ that continue to pray without ceasing as Jesus did. Continue to have that desire. Because without prayer in this book and Christ's example, we would have no understanding of God's physical desire for connection with us. And Christ's desire, which should ultimately be our desire, right, for connection with God. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. The current state, I believe the current state of your prayer life tells us the overall condition of your spiritual life. Think about that for a minute. I'll say it again. The current state of your prayer life tells us, shows us the overall condition of your spiritual life. Meaning whether it's flourishing or it's struggling and vulnerable for the enemy. I think that's exactly what Luke is trying to say to our readers, that our desperation and our need to plead with God is so important because the power of God is connected to it, you guys. So let's look at how we can, I'll give it a name, power up, how we can power up our prayer lives tonight. So here it is in verse 2, our Lord responds to his disciples Uh, with this model prayer, and I know we've previously, through previous messages, looked at Matthew 6 in the past, but please keep verse 7 and 8 in Matthew 6 in the back of your minds. Anybody, you guys want me to read it real fast? Just for like, okay, reflection. Okay, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows. Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So let's keep that in mind as we dissect Jesus' format for prayer. And he starts by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, I didn't think these bottles were as useful as they, they really are. Mm. Sorry. And so Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And this leads us to our first power-up point, which is acknowledging who God is. Can you say that? Acknowledging who God is. Cool. I know you're with me. I know you're with me now. You know, as I was reading through this passage, I couldn't help but think, man, what were the disciples thinking when they heard this for the first time? You know, trying to put myself in their seat. I mean, calling God Father wasn't exactly a normal thing for them at that point. This type of relationship with God was actually unheard of for them, you guys. The priests had to intercede on behalf. So 
I could just see the stoic expression, you know, on the disciples' faces. And I'm willing to bet, you know, when Jesus was saying this, and I'm willing to bet at some point, at least one of them was mentally comparing God to their earthly father. Right? That's what I would do, wouldn't you? I mean, like we have, when he says father, it's all we really have to compare him to. It's all they would have had to compare it to at that time. And, and here's something. What would it look like for you if you put your dad in this format? Like your biological dad or your stepdad, whoever is your parent, was your parent. Here's what mine would sound like. My father, who is in Eva Beach, Hawaii, a drunkard and a drug dealer, was his name. He has no kingdom coming. In fact, he has nothing now. And who knows what his will is, because I don't know him. All I really know about him is that he's dead. He drank himself to death. You see, I think the disciples, at least some of them, could have been looking through this lens when they heard Father. Similar to the way that I did growing up when I heard Father, as people taught. And I always have reminded myself that these disciples weren't well put together either. They all had some train wreck story. I don't know if you do tonight, uh, but much like you and I. And Jesus is saying, God wants to rewrite your story and bring you into his story. Hallelujah. So the start of prayer should always be a declaration of who God is. I mean, this is, he is our father. It's saying he's our Abba, right? He, or in other words, daddy, one of the closest intimate connections you're supposed to have in that culture. And guess what? Our father has no, this father has no earthly attachments. He's out of this world, per se. I'll stop with the joke, sorry. <laughs> His home is heaven. His home is heaven. Hallowed, holy, pure, undefiled is his name. And he has a future kingdom that's going to blow our minds for all eternity. Amen to that. And guess what? His will, talk about his will. His will is that we would all be a part of it through salvation. So here it is. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God has adopted us, right, you, and become your father. There is no earthly attachment. And the more you recognize who he is, the more you realize whose, we've said that before, whose you are. So may we not forget we are children of a perfect, loving father. Every one of you here tonight, remember that, please. Perfect, loving God. We are his, and that's how you make God bigger than your storm. Remember how Pastor Steve says that before? That's how, how do you, making God bigger than your storm. Right? That's how you make him bigger, declaring who he is. Doesn't that make you feel invincible? Maybe kids in the room? Yeah? Like, like the impossible is possible? Man, that's the power of prayer, you guys. That's what Jesus Christ unlocked for them and for us tonight. You feel kind of like, all right, to the kids in the room, sorry, guys. Like superheroes, right? You feel kind of like Iron Man. You feel kind of like Batman inside of a super suit protected by God, right? And so he places you in this super suit when you think of verses that declare who he is and what he will do, guys. Like we are in Christ, a new creation. And Romans 8, 21, you don't have to write these down. I'm going to go kind of fast, but we will be delivered from the bondage of corruption in the glorious freedom of the children of God. In Romans 8.32, he didn't even spare his own son for you. Think about that. 
1 John 3, 1, because of the love he had for us, he calls us children now. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I love these last three verses here. No eye has seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man all all that God has prepared for those who love him. In Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, here's one I want you to catch tonight. God raised us up and made us so that we can sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he can now show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Not, not rubies and gold, no, his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. He's going to roll the film and we're going to see His grace. Christ. So declare who He is, folks. Because the more you declare who you are, you're going to be disappointed. I'm telling you, you know it. Come on, be real with me. When you look in the mirror, you're not, you don't see joy. I don't think you see joy. Not without Christ. I don't. But when the God of the universe rewrites your story, Satan no longer defines you. You know whose you are and what he's capable of, and how he wants to intimately spend time with each and every one of you, okay? My wife shared something interesting, was sweet, by Corey Ten Boom. Uh, it says this, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something, and you enter God's realm, where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible, Dang it. Nothing is too great. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. You see, seeing God like this should renew your mind, rejuvenate you, gives you lasting hope, changes your story. So, whew, acknowledging who he is, right? And verses 3 and 4 is where we find our next one. Let's read it together. Here we go. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So the next power-up point to you kids, to everyone, is accepting what he has done. He satisfies, I'm going to tell you right now, this is what he's done. He satisfies us daily and he satisfies us eternally. Praise God. Praise God. You know, at first glance, I missed it, but I came to realize um, something in- interesting in the passage. I, I like how KGV and NKGV says it. It says, day by day, our daily bread. Day by day, our daily bread. Did you know that there's three types of meanings for the word day in that passage? I'm going to cover it real quick for you. Kata, I'm not, hey, I'm not, Smart. Okay, I'm just letting you know. I'm um, just a dad, and so I have to look into stuff. So, kata uh, means at or according to. Hamera is this day or this moment. And epusios is by need or necessity for. So, what does that mean? You put it all together, and uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples to, uh, well, I'm sorry, you put it all together. And uh, what Jesus is petitioning here is for God to give us, so here it is, for God to give us according to this day, that's the second one, exactly what food we need and nothing more. Think about what's being declared right there. Like why? 
Because I think about where these disciples were. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. Like, they had to store. They had to figure out, and we do in some ways too, right? Like, it's smart. It's wise, we hear in, in many uh, passages, right? So why this? And I think Proverbs 38 and 9 says it clearly. When the writer prays, Lord, remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to be completely reliant on what God is going to provide. Why? Because they can tend to have no need of him. And I think in the same way, that's where we all tend to be. We can have no need of him. You see, Jesus knows that. He knows our tendency to take control and say, God, I got this. I don't need you. I'll work it out myself. Or, or you know, I'll take what I have right now versus waiting for what you have later. This seems better. But let's go deeper. I don't know if you realize what Jesus is saying here. I always just assume, you ever, you ever got that letter in the mail that maybe your mom had or came to you, the daily bread, the little booklet thing? And I was like, oh. So when I read this passage, I was like, oh, the daily bread. That's what we, it's like our daily bread, you know? I was wrong. <laughs> uh, I thought it was God's word. And, and that, there's truth to that for sure. But closer analysis taught me that I was off because it stands for something simpler. It stands for a loaf of bread. That's what that word means. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus used, his, Jesus used this word when Satan was tempting him. I don't know if you guys remember the passage where um, he says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? And Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever things were written, listen here, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So not by the bread, but by the word. It was written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, okay? So you see, God's desire is that our source of daily living and survival not be found on our own performance and how much bacon we can bring in, okay? But he offers us full, fullness of satisfaction and eternal nourishment for your souls through his word. I like to say it like this, um, don't eat to live, uh, don't eat to live, or eat to live, don't live to eat, right? Eat to live, don't live to eat. Let him provide and just soak in the nourishment of his word for your soul. You know, it's interesting, I think I hear so much about alcohol amongst pastors or amongst congregations or, um, I don't know, where homosexuality or whatever it is, um, adultery, things like that. Nobody's talking about gluttony. I'm not going to harp on that, okay? But eat to live, don't live to eat. On his word is where we should be, meet. Ooh, that was kind of good. I'm going to keep that. Okay, imagine, <laughs> imagine if you guys, the word of God was so pleasing to your souls that like a Kenji double bacon cheeseburger with a side of furikake fries is what you got out of it. I'm hungry right now. You guys don't even know. I'm hungry right now. Ah, without the acid reflux, okay? So much so, you guys, that you weren't hungry for bread. 
you're just like, and I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, but man, I've been hungry. And I just relied on his word and just, he brought me through. And that's all I needed. I was surprised. I didn't need the bread. And that's the same thing with his forgiveness, you guys, as we saw in the passage. He has fully satisfied the greatest debt you could owe. I think his disciples would have at least partly understood this last part. Um, you know, the for we forgive everyone indebted to us part. It was part of their custom, really quickly, like every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, right, that all debts would be forgiven. So they understood. I think they understood how something could be let go of. But what I don't think they, un- they fully understood was the what and the who that we now get to enjoy. You see, they needed a priest, like I said earlier, to intercede on their behalf. And we now have Jesus who intercedes as our high priest, who paid the debt fully for our forgiveness of sins. So no matter, here it is, so no matter what the enemy says about you, or what you deserve to have from everyone else around you, Jesus' prayer teaches us to remember what your identity and hope is solely in, and that's Christ and God's daily and eternal provision. So, so here's what that means. Guys, you can confidently stop harboring stuff. And I'm not trying to call anybody out, but um, you know, I look amongst my brothers and sisters, and I love you guys, and I see that you're strong in your faith. And so I just want to encourage anybody in here, let go of whatever you might be harboring because of what's already been paid for you. Because now you can step out of that cave, as we were talking about, and commune with God, guys. Christian, in the room. Now, Christian, life may be tough, but always remember, joy comes in the morning. The sun will rise again, right? My kids back there, who I know might not be paying attention, when we read The Pilgrim's Progress, what's the main thing in the book? The bitter comes before the sweet. That's it, you guys. I was like, please let them say it. (laughs) The bitter comes before the sweet. Remember that, you guys. Think of my children. I think of my children when I hear this, how I hold them, you guys. What I would do for them, I would die. Seriously, die for them even at their worst. And if I as a sinner could care so deeply for them, how much more does your heavenly Father care for you? Amen. When he thinks of you. Bro, I'm telling you, if we could all get this and understand this, we would be invincible for Island of Kauai. We'd be like, I was talking to my wife's, or my father-in-law the other day, like the roosters in Kauai, like unstoppable. Like you can't take them down. They're everywhere. They're invading homes, right? <laughs> Um, so the last power-up prayer, you guys, we're going to go through the, and end it here. The last power-up in prayer is to allow him to lead us. And here's the passage, the ending says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, you know, I don't think the disciples realized how much God was literally with them, leading them, guiding them, walking with them daily. And here's the thing, I don't think we realize that either. I don't think we do. Paul shares in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, remember this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as in common to man, as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
So usually when I'm doing counseling and I got to face some sins in people's lives, um, I try to really focus on three C's. Um, so when you're encountering like deep sin in your own life, I focus on um, what are the costs? So thinking about deep sin in your own life, when you do it, what's the cost? Count the costs, right? Second one is who's in my corner? Family, church members, the body, right? Uh, whatever it is, wife, husband, even online, what supportive resources do you have that's free, that people have been given through the power of the Holy Spirit to reach you and have been gifted to reach you and to teach you who's in your corner, right? And the last one, I always say, simple. How can I get through this? How can I get through this? And it's interesting, especially working with people who deeply struggle with pornography, uh, as I had in the past, for sure, they tended to share how God, is, how God always makes a way out for them. I could share that, for sure. That's my story. The internet was down. Computer, broken. Someone came home early. People want to talk longer, whatever, distracted. I had a way out. But instead, I decided to let go of God's hand and forget where he was trying to rescue me from. Forget what he was trying to rescue me from. Maybe you're there now, I don't know, some type of sin or something, but the beautiful thing, just know as a side point, if we cry out, what does he do? He picks us up. Remember that, Heavenly Father, right? And we know the enemy is always prowling, and you may or may not have to go through things, as the passage declared, but the mark of maturity is, is he still leading you out of it? It's the question I want you to think about tonight. Is he still leading you out of it? Okay, as, you, as the enemy is prowling around, is he still the one leading you? Are you still following him to get out of there? Family, you must, must, must reflect God as the ultimate hero in your prayer life. Our prayers have no effect without Jesus, you guys. His example and his sacrifice. Only through, I want to be a reminder tonight, only through his death and resurrection are we able to have confidence to come again out of the cave and into right communion with God daily before the battles that you're going to face. Right after you get out of this room? Tonight, tomorrow morning. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, prayer is never out of season. It is never unnecessary. Prayer has become as essential to me as the heaving of my lungs and the beating of my pulse. And I want to piggyback on that by saying the ultimate question is, not do you pray, but how do you pray? Not do you pray, but how do you pray? Are you acknowledging who God is? Are you filtering everything through what he's done for you? And the last point I had was, and do you allow him to lead you, right? I concluded this week, after talking to Pastor Steve, I said, uh, through Dr. Luke's perspective, right, because that's the book we're in, through Dr. Luke's perspective, um, I learned, as we were talking about, prayer is not the tool in which we use to do surgery on ourselves, right? Oftentimes, we're leading it. We're, we're in control. We think we're doing the work here. But I want to be the reminder tonight as I end it. Instead, prayer is the medical, intense medical procedure in which we allow the Lord to do surgery on our souls. And this surgery is powerful. And guys, I don't know about you, but I need, I need 
every day, every hour, some serious surgery. So I pray you were encouraged by that tonight. Know the God that's with you, the power you have through him in prayer, through Christ. Okay, so let's bow our heads together. Lord, thank you for reminding me who you are this week. Thank you for making yourself evident to me. And I pray that as your mouthpiece, Lord, I pray that tonight someone's heart, maybe someone's lonely in this room, maybe someone's hurting, maybe someone's hitting with, getting hit with shame constantly, guilt, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that through your power, through Christ's sacrifice, they can be renewed, refreshed, renourished daily through the power of prayer that they have through what you showed us in this passage. So I pray that it goes beyond tonight. It goes beyond this room and it hits good soil, Lord. That it may soak deep, sink deep, and be rooted in you, Lord. That we may be surrounded by streams, nourished, protected by your word and by who you say you are and not what the enemy says we are, Lord. So bless them tonight. Guide them, protect them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.